I can't quite remember whether it was a birthday or a Christmas when I got my BMX. But I can remember the anticipation that I had because my cousin Dan already had one. And he had, he had the one which, I don't know, there's a, you know, um, you know the repair shop? And then you know there's the copycat one of the really sick toys. They had a, you know, that's what happens with telly, isn't it? It happened to be on in passing this week, and, and one of the kids bought in one of the proper, proper bikes with the yellow spoked wheels. That's what my cousin Dan had. And I was so hopeful that one Christmas or birthday that what would be under the tree would be this bike. And unfortunately, my parents didn't quite get the memo, so I got the one with spokes, normal spokes. But I tell you what, it did have trick nuts. Yes. Have you got any idea how exciting that is? That I had a BMX with trick nuts. Oh, it's just legendary. It meant you could fit at least three people on it, and uh, it did result in a broken arm on one occasion. But I'm just trying to invite you, uh, not mine, someone else's, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a story for another day. But can you remember that anticipation, that hope? that there was something under the tree that you hoped for and that, and that someone had got the right memo that hopefully this thing was going to be the thing that you wanted and then everything would be amazing. Yeah? Scale electrics. Come on then. What were some of the other things that you hoped for? Scale BMX with trick nuts. Scale electrics. What else? Train set. Train set. He-Man. He-Man. Yeah, is that like the rubbery one? Yes, come on. <laughs> there was one at the back as well. What was it? Technical, technical Lego. Yes, very serious. Very good. All these little things that we put our hopes and dreams in, aside from the amazing story of Christmas, this, this hope that there will be the thing that we desire under the tree. And that Christmas hope is a little bit of what I want to talk about this morning because we know that right now we live in this slightly bonkers world. We know that there's not just one war, there's not just two wars, but there are many wars around the world. And I don't know about you, but, but my head and my heart get very full very quickly with all the stuff that is going on in the world. And I guess that you are similar. I can, I can last about three or four minutes listening to the news and the horrors that are going around. But we also have this little legacy of a season where we were in pandemic kind of mode, which we're reliving thanks to the COVID inquiry at the moment. But one of the things that happened then is that people were left without hope. They were hopeless less. All of the things that we had gathered around us that, were, that had made us feel like life was okay and normal and that there was a future, all of those things were stripped away and we had to stay at home and suddenly our worlds got very, very small. Hope, various sources, 
is a state of an optimistic mind based on the expectation of positive outcome with respect to events or circumstances in one's life or the world at large. Or the desire accompanied by the expectation of fulfillment. Without hope, life is hard. And one of the things that happened in the pandemic is that that hope was stripped out. If you look at uh, folks that wrestle uh, with addiction or that wrestle with depression, one of the things that happens is that the view of life becomes quite short. So often we can think uh, uh, in the sort of longer term and we think and we have hope about what a year or five years might look like. But if you're struggling with stuff, whether it's addiction or depression, then what happens is, is that window, that view draws right in. And when you're in the midst of it, maybe all you can think about is this afternoon. And it's hard. And that's where a whole bunch of other thoughts kick in. Hope is like a tank. And when, when we're full of hope, life feels good. We're, we're, we have this expectation that things will go well. But when the hope tank is empty, then our view of what the future will, like, it will be like is pretty bleak. As Christians, our hope is not about optimism. In terms of psychology or a dictionary definition, hope is all about this optimism that life will be okay. But as Christians, our definition of hope is not based on that at all. It's not a happy thought that the future will be great. It's not some optimistic thing that may or may not happen, but our hope is based on the reality of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, the Christmas story does not begin on a hillside with the angels. It does not even begin with a donkey ride and an angel appearing to Mary. In fact, the Christmas story really begins in the garden with the wonderful creation of our loving Father God, made through Jesus and for Jesus. And then in that garden, everything gets messed up. And God then spends the rest of the Old Testament and the New sorting out the mess that we have made. And the Bible talks about this mess and says it's called sin. Anything that puts me at the center, anything that is selfish. The word sin has this I at, a center, at the center, which is quite a good way of remembering what is a good lens to look at sin. And then the way that God sets about sorting all of this out is he calls a person, he calls Abraham, and helpfully, especially as a dyslexic, he then changes his name and says that he's Abraham. 
Um, he calls a person, and out of a person, he shapes a nation. And in that nation, there is a sacrificial system that covers sin each year. And then the prophets speak about the one who will come, who will make everything right. You see, the Christmas story is not about an angel or a donkey, but it's got this long run-in for the whole of human history and the whole of the account of God with people. But what happens is the prophets speak and they say, one is coming who will set everything right. And then there is silence for 400 years. The prophets are silent. At the end of the Old Testament, it says this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And everyone was happy and cheered up. <laughs> and then there was a 400-year silence. You know, I mean, when someone walks out the room and says, says that, you know, it's going to come and everything will be fine, but if it doesn't, then there'll be destruction. Then it's like, great, yes, how's the party going for the next 400 years? Not so well. But then, Matthew 11, Jesus says this, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And what we see in the New Testament is this unfolding where the prophets start to speak again. Angels start appearing and saying to, to young girls, to Mary, you will have a son. To Elizabeth. And John comes, the one who prepares the way in the wilderness. And suddenly things are no longer silent because angels are singing and the hope that was promised is suddenly being fulfilled. So, I want to read you a slightly complicated verse in Hebrews. <laughs> Can we do that? Good. Um, uh, there's a little bit of a forerunner to it. This is Hebrews chapter 6, and it is verse 18 and 19, because I just want to kind of try and get, this is the verse that I, I, I hope will be helpful in unpacking um, what I want to share with you this morning. So it goes like this. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered 
on our behalf. Now, there's a little bit that comes before this, which I won't read to you, but you can go and look it up, that talks about Abraham and Abraham, Abraham being called, becoming Abraham, and him being called to be a blessing to the nations. And because of that calling, he has to go from where he is in order to walk into the fullness of what God has called him to be of what God is calling him to become, a person who becomes a nation. He has to leave where he is and move to where God is calling him to be. He has to flee his homeland to go and discover a new homeland that God has got for him. In order to take hold of what God has for us, we have to flee. The New Testament word for this is repentance. We have to turn around from the way that we were before, the way that we were living before, and walk into the fullness of what God has for us. To turn from the old and to receive the new that he has for us. Now, folks, this is a really simple message. That message of repentance to change your mind, to turn around, to flee from where you were before and to walk into a new land. But it is, it is the f- one of the foundational ideas in Christian thinking. And where we see that idea taken and twisted and saying, no, it's okay to stay where you are, that's not the Christian faith. Dear friends... And it's a hard message, but it's an invitation to live differently in the fullness of what he has got for us, in a land that he has made for us. So let me just try and unpack the verse a little bit more. So that's this little first bit about uh, fleeing to take hold of what he has set before us. And then there's this wonderful verse that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Anyone feel like the the world is kind of a bit of a crazy ocean at the moment, and we're a rather small boat kind of uh, chopping around on it? (laughs) Yeah? You know, what I've called this talk is a float with hope, because to follow Jesus is not to be removed from the world. It's not to be removed from the storms that surround us. But what it means is that we have an anchor called hope. And that is a fixed point in a crazy world. And that anchor is a person. He's called Jesus. Ever faithful, firm, secure. Folks, have you got that hope? Or are you frightened by the storm? How, how are you doing I mean, I know, I know what the answer is in our heads, but how, how are you doing in your heart? Are you feeling, you know, blown this way and that by all the storms? Or amidst of the storms, have you got the anchor, Jesus, so that you can be afloat with hope? The thing is that our hope is different. You know, my childhood hope for that BMX with the, with the trick nuts um, you know, it, it, it was passing. As, a, as an adult, that's not my hope 
anymore. You know, probably as someone that's 50, maybe, um, I don't know, socks or a good notepad, uh, roll of sellotape. Um, <laughs> I don't, you know, well, I, I'm pleased because Christmas, Christmas if, if, the, if the bar is here, then it's all going to be fine, isn't it? It's going to be great. You know, your, your expectation as an adult, especially if, you, if you've got kids in the house, well, you know, your expectation is, is slightly lower than that. Although I did, I did hear someone who was buying something uh, for their kids. For their kids. You know those kind of presents? Yeah, we've done those a few of the times as well. Hey, kids, here's a really good present for you. <laughs> Excellent. I get to play too. Our, our hope is not a passing hope like that. It's not a whim. It's based on the person and the work of Jesus. So it is a solid anchor even when life is stormy. Let me try and unpack a little bit of uh, what that means. Um, Let's go this way. Sorry, Stu. Um, when, um, when Jesus... I, I said I would never, ever go up here to speak, so I'm not going to be spend very long up here. When Jesus starts out, he, he starts out in heaven. Oh, this is a good view. I like this. I mean, you all look very handsome from down there. You look even more handsome from up there, up here. When, when Jesus starts out, he, he starts out in heaven... John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus, who is the Word, was in heaven with God, and he's also not just with God, he is God. Okay? If you have, I keep on saying this almost every single week. If you haven't settled that Jesus is God, please settle that today, because without that, he's just a jolly nice chap. And we don't need a jolly nice chap to deal with the problems of the world. What we need is a saviour, God himself, who comes in person and dies, dies on a cross for us. Okay? We don't need a fine Englishman to sort it out for us. He, he starts in heaven with God and is God. And then he chooses, John uh, 1 verse 14, to come and be born in person, and he makes his dwelling on earth. Heaven, earth. And he, he chooses to reside in earth. And the word dwelling is that tabernacling word that we were, we were looking at um, in a series ago, the tenting one. And, he, and he's here, and he's, and he's on the earth, fully human, and still fully God. And in this place, he chooses, he doesn't have his life taken from him, he chooses to be crucified for us on a cross. He takes our place, fully human, fully God. And this is an earth activity. I don't know whether you remember the, the, the kind of pattern in, uh, in the crucifixion. I know, I, know it's, I know it's Christmas, but the thing is, the, 
in order to make sense of Christmas, we have to understand the other bits. In, in those moments, just before he dies, his cry is, Father, why have you forsaken me? And he has this moment where he is separate from his father. So he's been with his father. He's chosen to be here on earth, fully God, fully human. And on the cross, in that moment, he is separated from his father. Why? Because the sins of the whole of humanity are laid on him and the Father cannot look at him and cannot be with him while he is covered in this heap of sin. And so Jesus, God, experiences separation from his Father, God, for the first time. At that moment, he is spiritually dead. And then his body catches up and he's physically dead. And in that moment, something amazing happens. The curtain in the temple on earth is torn in two. What's happening? Well, there's an earthly temple and... I won't go back up. There's a heavenly temple. This one is just a picture of the one that is in the heavenlies. And in that moment, what happens is that Jesus, as the sacrificial lamb, goes into the most holy place and the curtain, the dividing thing, is then torn in two as the declaration that he has now done it. It is one. That, that's good news, by the way. God. <laughs> He's done it. Now, now I, 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 there's a whole load of other thoughts attached to this one that is not what I want to say, but I do think we just need to unpick a little bit what happened in that moment. Because sometimes I think that we, we think that the resurrection moment happens on Easter Sunday. And it does, but that's physical resurrection. I think that what has happened in this moment on Good Friday is that he experiences spiritual death, disconnection from his father, and then physical death, and he has gone into the Holy of Holies as the sacrificial lamb in the heavenly version of it, and the curtain as the declaration that it is done because he says that it is finished, is torn in two, and at that moment he's experienced death, and death cannot hold him, and he's made alive in Christ. Then what happens? Then he goes down, wherever down is, to the lower earthly parts is how the Bible puts it. And there's all sorts of stuff that people then conjecture about what did or didn't happen in that moment in terms of um, stuff. We won't go there other than saying that he did go to the lower earthly region. And then on the third day, so he's already alive spiritually, and then on the third day there is physical resurrection. He proves it 
by his physical resurrection. He proves it for us so that we know that there is hope. He's done it. He does the mop-up of history. Uh, complicated stuff there. Don't go there. Um, and he proves it in his physical resurrection for us. But in these moments, his wording to his friends, to Mary is, hey, don't, don't hold on to me because this is kind of, I, I'm, I'm on the way somewhere else. And then you see it at the beginning of Acts that he ascends where? Back to heaven. You see, folks, our hope is not fragile. It may be in our heads, and it may be what we experience, but our hope in Jesus is rooted and anchored in who he is and what he has done. And those things are unchanging and timeless. If we can have the first Summary, slide up, Stu. How can we have hope? The first reason we can have hope is because what Jesus does is he fulfills Old Testament prophecy. The silence ends because he's coming. Because he's coming, the angels sing. Because he's coming, uh, babies jump in wombs as they recognize one another. Because he comes, everything changes. So much more is going on than just angels singing and donkeys riding and all the other stuff and stables and straw. This is, this is the, the shifting of the tectonic plates of history so that what breaks in is new life, new land, new people with a sacrificial system that has been done and is paid for so that you and I can be alive. Not just spiritually, spiritually, but physically. Eternal life that starts now. How do we get to it? We get to it through repentance. There's not another way. We have to turn from our old way and receive what he has as we live in his new way. Free and alive, facing him, having changed our minds. But the great thing is, is that he doesn't just leave us there. What he promises is his Holy Spirit. And he promises to fill us like we would have a, a, a well of living water, both, both coming up from the inside and being drenched from the outside. I don't know whether you can remember the first time you were filled with the Holy Spirit. Because there's, you know, there's, it's a bit like a good Christmas dinner, isn't it? You know, there's, there's full the rest of the time, and then there's Christmas dinner full. You know what I mean? And being filled to the measure of the fullness of Christ, being baptized afresh in Him, is like Christmas. It's not even Christmas, it's Boxing Day full. Yeah? That's not a very helpful illustration. 
But you can choose to have the pilot light on just a little bit, like on the boiler, or you can be fully ablaze with him. Any, anyone want to express a choice? Yes, come on. <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd literally spent about six months because I'd been brought up in this solid evangelical church, so Bible solid, okay? We just got Bible. We got uh, the Trinity, inter not actually, but the Trinity was as if the Trinity was Father, Son, and Holy Book. That was the kind of church that I was brought up in. And, and as I got to kind of 16, 17, I, I thought, hang on, this amazing Holy Book talks about something else. It talks about the Holy Spirit. Where, where in my church, where, where is this Holy Spirit? Well, what's happening? And I was like, well, I can hear him talked about I don't see much evidence that he's moving. And so I went on a kind of, I went on a Holy Spirit quest. I literally, I remember being at a, a, a sleepover party and everyone else was, you know, doing the stuff that they were doing. And I was trying to get asleep on a sofa. And I was just like, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come. I was like, nothing's happening for months and months and months. And then I went to, I went to Spring Harvest Oh, that was good as well. Anyone ever been to Spring Harvest? Yes! Going next year. Excellent. All conferences are excellent. Not all of them. Most of them. Um, Spring Harvest is on the good list. I haven't got a list. I'm going to stop talking, Mark. Let's get back to the story. I'm at Spring Harvest, and, and they'd, they'd done the call thing, and literally everyone had been prayed for, like, like the whole conference room thing, and and. and you know, God was clearly doing amazing things. And I'm like, uh, Jesus, what's about me? Uh, whatever that is, I would like some too. And I was like, I, I, I waited and I, I, nothing happened. I went up and found the speaker at the end. I was so cross. I literally, I, I went up onto the stage. I don't, I, I, the way I remember it was that there was hardly anyone else left in the auditorium. And I was like, I have to have this, this as my language was then, this Holy Spirit. Not even realizing at that point that he is a person. And this guy was so gracious and, and prayed for me. And I fell down in the Holy Spirit and was just utterly overwhelmed with how much God loved me. And I was like a crazy drunk man. And I was in my dad's little Fiat 127, lawnmower of a car. And I drove back from North Devon to South Devon, off my face in the Holy Spirit. Had I been stopped by the police? Confession, by the way, I did get a speeding ticket last about a month ago. I'm just saying it out loud. 36 and a 30 on dual carriageway on 
I'm driving home, and I'm like praying at the top of my voice in tongues. Drunk in the Holy Spirit, so overwhelmed and thankful that God loves me and that He's done everything. And I, I am, for the first time in my entire life, fully connected and plugged in open channel river of the fullness of the kingdom of God flowing in me, over me, and trying to navigate the country roads of Devon. Here's the thing. While the experience over years has waned up and down and, you know, dependent on what's happening, I've always known his presence. Always. So when I get hungry for him to do more, it's not because he's not already doing it. It's that I want to see that overflow. And what we see in the Christmas story is the breaking in of the kingdom that causes the angels to sing, to say, He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Folks, are you ready to receive Him? What do we hope for in the long term? Three things. Firstly, that the craziness of this world will come to an end. Our hope, based on the reality of who Jesus is, is that there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more death. The tough bit about hoping for that is that we have to acknowledge that that is part of the reality of where we are now. We are a ship on the ocean, afloat with hope, in the storm, but attached with the most solid anchor that you can ever have. But our hope is that in Him there will be no more tears, that the storms will go. Our hope is that eternal life will be with Him. But we have a foretaste of that now because if you're a follower of Jesus, then eternal life has begun. It doesn't start when you get to heaven. What happens is when we get to heaven or heaven to earth, read Revelation, um, is that we step into the fullness of that. And the fullness of that is with Him, that God makes His dwelling among people. Should we stand? And what I want to do is, I just want to say, come, Holy Spirit. There are so many other verses that we could have read about hope. In case you need another verse, Hebrews 11. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Those things that we do not see yet, we hold on to them by faith. So, folks, will you 
Will you make a faith choice this morning to hold on to the fullness of what He has? Anchored in Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Thank you that you're here and that you're moving. We say yes to whatever you want to do. You know, sometimes when we when we spend a bit of time waiting on the Holy Spirit, sometimes it's helpful just to posture ourselves in that way of saying, "Yeah, I'm ready to receive," as if as if we were to receive a physical present. <laughs> you know, it's a way of us choosing, us saying to our bodies, "Body, get into agreement with what I'm choosing." Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come and rest upon your dear children, on your friends. For some of you, the the noise of the sea, of the storms around you, is so noisy and troubling. And pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak to the storms. I declare stillness over your thinking. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me, says Jesus. Jesus.